Welcome to the Coffee Cast with Cation and Rubin, powered by Behind the Racket, the podcast dedicated to looking at the top issues facing tennis and getting to know the players facing them. Visit BehindTheRacket.com for the latest stories, merch, as well as direct links to all of the latest podcasts. The Coffee Cast can also be found on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever you find your podcasts. Download the episodes and make sure to leave a review. Special thanks to our sponsor, New Balance. Visit their latest shoes and styles at newbalance.com and learn more about their program of giving back at hashtag NBGivesBack. And we want you to be a part of the conversation. Find me at NoahRubin33 or Mike at MikeCTennis on all forms of social media. You can also learn more at BehindTheRacket.com or MikeCTennis.com. And now. The fact that we're in Dallas, Texas means there is just a singular human being um, that we have to talk to, and that is <laughs> the king of Dallas, uh, as evidenced by the title last year. Yeah. And, and obviously, I mean, Mitchell Kruger, thank you for joining us. You essentially were like raised here at the T-Bar-M Racket Club. More or less. Yeah, you could say so. Did you actually play here? I have no idea. I, I, think I, I think I spent more time on these courts in my own home growing up. I had no idea this is your club. That's actually yeah, pretty incredible. Really? Yeah, I swear I'm alive. Um, <laughs> Mom's here all the time. Well, yeah. Well, so I just thought you were close enough. Probably at about 10 years old, I started coming over here from Fort Worth, which is the time we were coming, over an hour drive yeah. each way probably. Right. It was like three miles. but. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at 10, I was probably coming over here twice a week maybe three times a week and then 11 started becoming more regular five days a week and then at about 12 i i started doing like schooling over Mm -hmm. here as well so five days a week six days most you know saturdays a lot too and you know sounds thrilling like i said i'm not exaggerating when i say i spent more time in the club than like my own house for the better part of 12 to 16 17 <laughs> it's it's wild to me and i think i even mentioned this a couple times during the broadcast last year on your way to the title because you had such a shit record in this <laughs> event and I, I you know i don't want to put words in your mouth it, it felt like you struggled with with some of that hometown pressure how did it change for you so that you were able to use it effectively last year well i think first of all i've had had some fairly tough draws yeah first rounds you know the two or three years i'd been in main draw here um i played smicek twice yeah one of the years was the year he wanted and i think it was the next year as well where he was defending or something you know obviously he played well here and you know i was still in a sense getting my feet wet at like a high level challenger level so you know it is tough, honestly, like last year, dealing with a little bit of pressure of like... <laughs> Everybody coming, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> throw great teachers out, yeah. <laughs> yeah no, seriously, <laughs> but like, I mean, just having that little extra pressure of like people that I've grown up knowing mm-hmm. and people that have seen me grow up playing here and, you know, they obviously know that I've been playing at a really high level, but I'd never won a challenger, mm-hmm. you know, so that was kind of like a monkey on my back that... Obviously, I believed I could win and, and win a challenger. And different for people that don't necessarily follow all the challengers and know how tough it is. You know, some people just expect me, like, oh, you know, he's really good. He should win the tournament or right. he should do really We've well. we seen him win here so many <laughs> times over the years. You know, it's, it's not that simple, as yeah. anyone can tell you. But, 
Was it one defining moment? Was a sentence somebody told you? I mean, this is for my own sake because I, I don't win at the US Open and I'm trying to learn. I feel like I learned from these podcasts, like Christian last week, like telling her, telling me to simplify my thoughts. And, and now with you, you obviously, I mean, talk about monkey on your back for a challenger and now at your home. Yeah, I mean, I think one thing last year in particular that stands out to me was it was the first time I'd played this challenger actually living here again. You know, obviously I grew up playing here in juniors. I played qualifying a lot. Never played main draw when I was still in juniors. So, you know, obviously once I finished juniors and turned pro, I moved down to Florida. So I, my parents and everyone still lives here, but I was never actually basing here. And I remember I talked to you after I won the tournament last year. Um, I had just moved back here to Dallas. Yeah. Me and my now fiance Jeannie moved in. Congratulations! Thank you. Got to make sure I throw that. <laughs> yeah, <out>. he's learning. <laughs> he's that's, learning that's quick. Good, that's good. <laughs> he's on it. Uh, we, I mean, we moved in right after, right before Christmas. You know, I did my offseason in Orlando. Jeannie met me in Orlando. We drove back my car and a lot of my stuff, and went straight down to Australia and came back. This was like my first time being here mm. for like the better part of a week and it definitely helped me kind of feel more at home well obviously I do feel at home here but yeah just grounded having the apartment less than 10 minutes away having my car obviously my family and all that yeah. support and just sleeping in your own bed you know mm. it goes a long way <laughs> a lot of people might not realize I think you know, for somebody that's that's been a part of the USTA, that's, you know, tried to find different routes, what did it take for you to take that step and say, I'm going to play home, I'm going to be home. The comfort of being home is more important than a lot of other things that I need to put on a pedestal. So what did it take for you to take that jump? I mean, honestly, it was always like a goal of mine eventually to move back and base out of here. You know, a lot of it was just about timing as far as guys to train with and my career and financial stability, you know, that kind of thing. But you know, honestly, the main driving factor was probably Jeannie and my fiance that, you know, she was always there by my side, but she kind of like, you know, didn't plant the idea in my head, but, you know, she was, you know, the one there that was being like, kind of reassuring me, thinking like, you know, you don't have to live in Florida. You don't have to train at USTA. You know, not in, not saying that in a bad way. Like, no, of course, you it's... know, they obviously provide a lot of support. But you know, tennis is an individual sport, and sometimes you need individual things that you might not be able to get other places. And uh, yeah, I mean, the toughest thing for me was just kind of the getting over the fear of like going out on my own, right? Because obviously, I'd from when I finished high school and turned pro, I uh, you know, was in Florida mm -hmm. and training with USTA and had their support. Uh, along those lines though, you made that decision uh, at 18, you were going to go to A&M. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think a lot of people would say that's, that's a big jump though to, you know, you talk about fear. That's yeah. a big one to become <laughs> suddenly a pro at 18. Do you look back at that with regret? Do you look back at that with pride? How do you look back at that decision? I, me personally, I don't have any regret. Comparing that to me, like moving home and like basing here now, mm. 
I was much more fearful of that, honestly, because the USTA has done such a great job mm. of providing everything you would ever want or need in one facility as far as coaching, courts, balls, training room, strength and conditioning, gym, like you got literally everything you could possibly want. Mm. That was always what scared me was, you know, I could move home whenever I wanted, but I wanted to make sure I had that same structure, same routine, same, you know, make sure that I didn't move home and just kind of like started Winged doing it. my own thing. <laughs> you know? oh, I don't feel like practicing today. You know, <laughs> not that like I, I have that mentality, but you know, I feel like once you go out on your own and you have, you know, less people, you want that kind daily of like hovering over you, yeah. you know, that like it's easy to fall into routines. You're like, oh, you know, I don't need to go to the gym today or stuff like that. So that honestly, like looking back on when I turned pro, I look at that time as more of prideful, you know, because mm. I had a really good junior career. So I did have, you know, agency. I signed with Octagon that still supports me and had contracts and then USTA supporting me as well. That, you know, I've, I'm fortunate. A lot of guys don't have that. Yeah. So that definitely helped me make my decision. But, yeah, moving home was honestly what scared me the most because I, I didn't want to make sure. I, I didn't want to, you know, make the wrong decision, you know. And it's always tough. Tennis players are creatures of habit you know and, you and weird people don't <laughs> and weird yeah and Mitch Speak for yourself. <laughs> strikes <laughs> both of those boxes <laughs> no, but, you know just a lot of tennis players don't like change yeah but at the end of the day change can make huge differences you know so it's just kind of getting over that fear was big for me I think for me it was a it was a negative push. I mean, the kind of the French Open last year was when I was like, I, I don't even know if I want to play the sport anymore. So then I was like, okay, let's change that. Let's go home. Let's see if that will change anything. I mean, besides Jeannie reassuring, so you know, you said she reassured. That means you already had thoughts of going back. What was the first thing that said maybe home is the right place for me? Because I think especially a lot of our listeners, you know, whether the parents of young kids, always looking out and saying, okay, our kid has to be in blah, 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 because mm -hmm. everybody else is here and that's the way to do it. So what was your first thought that said, you know, I, sh I should be home? I mean, obviously it's easy for me being from Dallas, moving back to Dallas where it's centrally located in the country. For the most part, weather's good year round. You know, you do get the occasional cold weather but yeah, well, we're gonna get that on tuesday <laughs> and wednesday of this week you know you can deal with that when it's not six months out of the year right uh you know i had dave my coach growing up here still mm -hmm. ready to to kind of jump back on board and and you know help me out there and for me you know i just kind of had pieces in place that at the end of the day i just needed to decide like take the leap and just believe I was doing the right thing you um, have had some pretty good friendships and I think obviously the one with Bjorn uh, <laughs> certainly is I think the one that you're probably most known for that you guys have gone uh, <laughs> way back I have a good memory of the, the three of us me you and Bjorn at, at the balcony overlooking things in Tallahassee uh, first yeah. time I, I remember chatting with the two of you guys um, how difficult has that relationship been for you to overcome on the court when you are so close on it? 
And also, you guys played like 19 times. Yes. I know. <laughs> we, we go through like these random phases where like I swear to we God, don't it play. Was like yeah. I mean, like growing up through juniors, I think we played twice from 12 to 18. Mm. And then once like early into our pro careers, we didn't play that much. And then it was like, boom, one yeah. year. <laughs> Within like a 12-month period of time, we played like five or six times. I don't even know. You know, a couple times that like the slams and qualies were obviously that's you know the highest pressure yeah. situations where it sucks to play another American but I mean I we have also practiced together so many times that like I can't even count yeah can't even begin to imagine like the amount of time we've actually spent together on court and off court too living yeah. together from from when we turned pro and working I mean, with it, Stan Boster yeah like, <laughs> I mean, we basically, up until I just moved back last year, you know, we pretty much did everything together as far as our career and a lot of the same coaches and, and you know, tennis, as far as tennis goes, you know, it was a similar path. But, I mean, it, it's tough to say. I think, at least for the men, we're better at kind of, flipping the switch on and off mm. when we're playing someone that we're friends with not that you know most guys are friends with pretty much everyone yeah. there's not many people that we can't stand well, I mean there are listen, nobody <laughs> likes Noah I know it's amazing he gets people on the podcast <laughs> people literally come up to me and say do you guys talk before and just say shit on Noah is that literally the theme is and I was like it no it goes just, without saying actually actually surprisingly it's natural for all these people very natural but you also said that beyond that Mitch and I fought a huntsman spider. Like that brings anybody <laughs> as close together. Somebody put that video up this past Jamie. Week. Jamie, Jamie Lowe posted okay. that. Yes, so we we relived our moment oh where God. this spider took a hit from a frying pan, waved a finger at me, said, "No, no, <laughs> this is my house now." Mm. And I think Mitch and I grew closer that's, that day. That's why I've never been to Bernie <laughs> ever since I had to say it. Nah, that's, I'm just kidding though, but seriously though. That and, the, and then when we almost got sideswiped by two semis, <laughs> when uh, <laughs> I'm driving on the other side of the road mm. for the first time. I don't. Oh, that was the Christian story. The Christian mm. one, yes. Yeah. Yes, now we're combining. Now yes. we're seeing yeah. it's all coming for full circle. <laughs> I might have egged him on a little bit there. I'm like, I don't have time. Mitch is like, you have time, go now, screaming at the top of his lungs. I was like, okay. But yeah, no, uh, it's it's so funny. I mean, you become close with these guys, and then every once in a while, you just get in this mode, and you see their name in the draw sheet for the next like six weeks, and you're like, this can't be real. I literally have not played 30 of these guys in the draw <laughs> for six years, 10 years yeah. in the juniors, but I see like a Ty Kwiatkowski. Mm. You know, it just happens constantly, and you know, you don't really know how to react to it. You know, it's like, okay, I know their game really well, and so does he, and you know, win or lose, it's not going to feel great. And there's like this competitive spirit, but friendly. If I can build on that for this question, I've, I've always felt with, with you, some of your best tennis has come in those moments when you're playing against somebody who's really not familiar with you and, and you seem to rise to the occasion on mm -hmm. those moments. Why is that? You know, that's something that I've actually talked about, you know, with other people and something that I have tried to kind of get to the root of I do feel like and maybe maybe everyone's a little different but me personally I tend to play better in the bigger matches against the bigger players 
were obviously on me. There's technically less pressure. You know, no one expects me to go out and beat Djokovic in Australia or Del Potro in Cincinnati, you know, but you know, I've always felt like those matches, it's easier to kind of like enjoy enjoy it, but like soak in the atmosphere and, you know, it's, it is tough to go from playing something like that to you know, some of these tournaments, some random side courts where, you know, there's... <laughs> everyone knows there's not many people watching yeah. you know there's there's literally zero atmosphere you know you're just playing honestly for the love of the game or just to get to the next match or you know there's everyone has their own motivations but i think yeah i mean i mean talking about friendships and this is something that i was actually going to talk on our 15 minute segment um how important are friendships on the tour? I mean, obviously, you've just been thrown into a few of them just because <laughs> of working with the same coach or just traveling. Yeah, because nobody would choose to be friends with Noah. Right. Mm -hmm. It is, it is um, the short end of... <laughs> short, literally. <laughs> but go on. I'm sorry. It is such a nice day outside that it's, it's <laughs> tough to get upset, but you're really making it. <laughs> I didn't sleep last night. <laughs> but how important is you, and, and do you put it on a pedestal, to make friends to, like is it difficult without friends you make sure that you have these people around you or do you not even think about it because i think after my time you know a little more time on tour i'm finding it important to make friends when you know when i started i was basically like everybody can go fuck themselves well, and, yeah, you know it's you know, yeah. i'm gonna do my own thing but now i'm finding out just how important it is, is was that a uh, something you had to deal with i mean i think generally speaking i'm a pretty friendly person easy to get along with you know I'm not like super tough to deal with or super demanding in certain situations but I mean I think honestly it's critical to in my opinion to have the friends on tour because it's I mean the people you see basically every day every week whatever 30 40 weeks out of the year maybe even more if you train with the person you know, it's it's a miserable. It, let's start this. Tennis in general can be a very miserable life, and then if you throw that on top of it of, you know, being super in, individualized or in your own shell, not talking to people, not hanging out with people, not going to dinner with people, like, it just exponentially increases, you know, the the feeling of loneliness and everything that comes along with traveling this much and playing on the tour but I've always wondered how some of the players on the WTA handle it because I think everyone seems to to know that they don't get along <laughs> compared to the men's side <laughs> yeah I think you and could say that about a few men as well men well as yeah, for sure of course it's just I think <laughs> I just know women that have spoken outwardly spoken about that the communication is not as no. fluid <laughs> This kind of hits on what I was saying a little while ago of like flipping that switch yeah. of like being friendly with a lot of people and then you play them. It's match time. That goes out the window. As soon as the match is over, the switch is flipped the other way and you know, it's you're good. You know, it doesn't matter what happened in the match, win or lose, controversy, no controversy. Hopefully that doesn't happen, but no. sometimes it does. And you know, you just kind of deal with it and know that 
if the people that you're there with, you know, if you're not friendly with them or not enjoying being around them, it's it's a tough way to live. Mitchell Kruger was kind enough to be one of my first behind the racket posts. And, you know, here we are in a different situation than when we did it. You are now defending a challenger title here, your hometown. And through your behind the racket post, you're talking about how difficult it is at times to not be where you want to be exactly to put in all the effort while it seems that other guys have it a little bit easier and you know you had that challenger title last year you got it you got the monkey off your back but we're here a year later defending a title what are you feeling like what is the is there angst is there emotions Obviously, you defended some points last week playing yeah. some good tennis, so that takes a little bit of pressure off. Of yes, yeah. it is some great tennis. Um, but regardless, you have a challenger title here in your hometown. What are you thinking going into it? I mean, it's definitely going to be different in a sense. If I was defending a challenger somewhere else, you know, like we kind of talked about, yeah. it's always going to be a little different playing the tournament here, knowing so many people. And I mean, from like the maintenance guys to the guys in the kitchen to literally literally every single person here like has seen me since I was 10 years old so uh now that standpoint is it's gonna be honestly probably one of the tougher things to deal with because I think I've handled the uh the whole point ranking situation you know I've up until now I feel like I've handled that really well and managed to have a good week last week to take a little bit of the pressure off and you know I've honestly just kind of letting the chips fall where they do and not worrying about points trying to take it as a new year a new opportunity to add points you know and I don't want I don't really want to dwell on the ranking of if I lose first round where do I fall you know like just trying to take it one tournament at a time even ending the year in Houston you know because I had qualified in Australia last year so I knew basically from the beginning of the year you know for the better part of the first month into February that you know I had some work cut out yeah (laughs) Yeah, I've been there so that that definitely helped to end the year on a high note there making semis then uh you know I feel like I've been playing well this year disappointing outcome in Melbourne but you know me and Neto had a really good match yeah. and I'm I'm really happy with how I kind of responded to that disappointment in my first tournament back and making through a tough draw and playing a lot of tough matches in Newport making semis there and hopefully riding the wave of confidence I've got coming into here and win or lose just enjoying it we promised we'd get you out of here by the time the Super Bowl starts, which is in about 25 minutes. So these are two, hour, <laughs> these are two short wrap-up questions. No worries. Um, number one, um, I don't know that we've ever, you and I, publicly talked about Sarasota. <laughs> and I, I don't I, know if we have either. I needed to. I had a lot of media requests that <laughs> week. Take so, my glasses so off so for the next one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to uh, publicly take this moment to apologize. <laughs> thinking it came from my phone? Thinking that it came from your phone and maybe, you know, something needed to happen before the uh, match. Was, I, I need to apologize uh, to you in a public setting for I that. Mean, I've said it in multiple media interviews. You said that? Yeah, that I thought it was coming from his phone. Because 
I, yeah, again, but you, but you just stated it a different yeah, way. Right. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I mean, yeah, I mean honestly, what, what, what for? research. I mean, so, so <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that came so far out of the blue. I mean, who knows? You know, right. No one's ever been in that situation before. So, yeah. I mean. Uh, so I, I forgive you for thinking. Thank you. Thinking what you thought, um, <laughs> even though it wasn't. Yeah, the truth. don't even answer. Please. It's it's Please it's. Answer. I don't know. Has it has it stuck with you uh, as much as it stuck with me? And maybe that's the wrong choice of words. Uh, I apologize for that. But um, <laughs> I have something about Mario right now. What what, what do we do? Has you can plead the fifth if you want. You really can just no, talk. No, the stigma no. is it is it there with you? Because no, it's literally still had people talking to me about it two weeks ago. In, in no, I mean I personally haven't gotten anyone that's brought it up probably in the better part of a year or so. But it does it does happen very very occasionally. Be you know, especially as it you know, within like a few months of it happening, like that was like my claim to fame. <laughs> So pretty much my whole life up until this point is to try to give myself another claim to fame. Yeah. So that becomes number two. But yeah, you and me both. It does have millions of YouTube views, <laughs> so you know that can be something. Uh, and then finally, um, at one point, you and I were um, Pokemon Go friends. And um, <laughs> do I even have to be here? Right and then uh, yeah. you, you kind of quit it, on me, and it it, uh, it, it comes hurt. and goes. It hurt. <laughs> I mean, it I'll was never forget Binghamton. I don't even know what year that was. Probably like twenty. It was a huge 16 thing. when yes. it first came out. Yes. I actually remember. And, and yeah. Liam Brody. <laughs> yes, like Liam Brody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Apparently, like, Matt Reed was rooming with him and thought he had, like, gotten kidnapped or something because yes. he, like, didn't come back to the room until 2 or 3 a.m. because right. he was out Spinning walking downtown. <laughs> downtown right. Binghamton crushing the pokey stops. But, I mean, hey, life was... It was simpler. It was, it was an easier time back then, <laughs> I gotta say. Well, I, I, I know this is going longer than normal normal podcasts, and I hate to take your time because again, I see you getting calls and Super Bowl coming up. But I don't I don't think I ever did this before, and I just wanted to thank you. And I, I've spoken to a few people about this, but because um, one of my greatest moments in my tennis career is when we practiced before my match against Fed and we were in the stadium. It was empty Rod Laver Arena. We just kicked off Kerber, just kicked off the court. And we put on Aloha with my speaker on Rod Laver Arena. Nobody's in there and we're just hitting the ball. We're just warming up in the match. And for whatever reason, that almost stayed with me more than a match. And it was just one of the, the most incredible tennis experiences I ever had. It was kind of out of body and I know it might sound cheesy but and I'm sure it's different because you weren't playing that day I don't know if you felt anything like it but you know just being out there and striking a ball was like you know this is if I quit tennis tomorrow this is an experience that I'll have forever honestly I still remember that almost exactly completely clearly like I'm sure you do especially for me last year a couple years after you playing against Djokovic on that same court so that was actually my first – I'm pretty sure that was my first time hitting on Rod Laver. Mm-hmm. I don't see why I would have ever hit on it before. Yes. <laughs> but it was crazy to think that – I mean, you see it sometimes of, like, you can be on some random court in the middle of nowhere with blasting music on a speaker surrounded by absolutely nobody, and we were here on Rod Laver Arena surrounded like by Mitchell absolutely Kruger nobody. Mitchell Kruger and Noah Rubin. Blasting music on this, <laughs> this little, like, mega boom speaker. Like <laughs> And like, like we had control over, I felt like we had control over the Australian Open at that mm. point. And it's just Noah Rubin and Mitchell who were like, who the fuck are they? And, <laughs> yeah, and it was exactly. just like, that was our moment for a second. And we got to be a part of it. And yeah, I just, it, it was just really incredible. 
that was a great memory. I do. Well, Mitchell, um, get to the Super Bowl. Um, go Cowboys. Go Cowboys. Sure. <laughs> how, how, how Next about year, that new, this new year, head coach? That's all the years. I don't know. Mike McCarthy is going to really work out well for I'll, you. I'll take some. I'll take. <laughs> I don't know. I'll take whatever we can get. Okay. Well, you got what you can I'm get. I'm ending okay. this now. We're done. <laughs> the show might be over, but the conversation isn't. Join us on social media at NoRuben33 and at MikeCTennis. We want to hear your opinions and stories behind the racket. Expect new episodes every Monday or Tuesday. And don't forget to leave us ratings on iTunes. It really helps us expand and reach more listeners as we take you behind the racket on the Coffee Cast with Cation and Ruben. <laughs>